I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Despite record high inflation, job growth, wage growth, the U.S. economy still has about 12 million open jobs, 3 million workers short. But the solution to our labor supply problem may be right under our nose. So to break that down and help us uh, figure out how we move that all forward, Michael Farron is a research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, joins us on the line. Michael, thanks for jumping on with us today. Happy to be here, Boyd. Uh, so let's break, break it down for us, uh, starting with the April jobs report. Uh, where are we and uh, what are we missing in all of this? So it was a great jobs report and the kind of jobs report that pre-pandemic would have had uh, economists dancing in the street. Uh, the number of payroll jobs that we uh, that increased, uh, that, that businesses added to the economy, was 428,000. Uh, the unemployment rate uh, is 3.6% and wage growth across all workers uh, on an annual basis was 5.5%. So these are fantastic numbers and the numbers actually get even better for uh, for working wage, uh, rank and file workers in, in retail and uh, other uh, kind of service industry type jobs. But the problem that we're seeing is that we're, despite all of this labor growth, we're not having a whole lot of workers return to the labor force, at least compared to what we saw before the pandemic. Uh, we're still at least 3 million workers down compared to what we were beforehand. Wow. And uh, it also seems, too, that a lot of the uh, the enthusiasm, again, the, as you talked about, uh, that the wages are, are going up in a significant way. Uh, a lot of that oxygen is getting pulled out, obviously, by the inflation numbers where a lot of Americans just still feel like they're not quite catching up or not quite keeping up uh, with where everything's headed. That's definitely true. Uh, there, I do have some good news in that regard, however. Uh, so, uh, inflation, uh, as we heard yesterday, uh, was up uh, about 8.3% uh, for the month of April. Uh, the, the For the same period of time, uh, wage growth for all workers was up by 5.5%. But for non-supervisory workers, uh, like I said, the, the rank and file workers, their wage growth was up by 6.4%. So no, not quite as far down as, uh, as 
across all workers. But then when you look at transportation and warehousing workers and leisure and hospitality workers, uh, the numbers get even better. Uh, their wages rose by 11.2% and 12.6% respectively. So a lot of the people at the uh, lower end of the spectrum that we would normally worry that their wages aren't keeping pace with inflation, uh, for once, they're the ones out in, out in the front, and it's more white-collar workers who are likely seeing their wages not grow as fast as inflation is growing. Oh, I think that's such an important point. Uh, no one, no one's talking about that. So, Michael, I appreciate you raising that uh, because sometimes we we miss. You know, we look at the top line things, and uh, and the politicians uh, for and against are always going to make their cases. But I think that's an important one. That uh, this is a rare moment that the, those uh, in those some of those hourly jobs are, are outpacing their their white collar friends uh, in terms of keeping up with it. And uh, one of the things that you have pointed out, Michael, that I think is also really important in terms of how do we actually solve this whole uh, in terms of having enough workers, uh, and you point to to one that everyone should be thinking through, and that's uh, dealing with immigration. Absolutely. So there's two major uh, reasons why we're seeing uh, so many fewer workers in the labor market today uh, than we did a few years ago. Uh, the first is retirement. There's been about two and a half million more uh, retirements uh, during the pandemic than you would have expected uh, given pre-pandemic trends. But also we closed our borders to all sorts of visa holders, uh, students, uh, skilled workers on H-1Bs and uh, temporary workers uh, doing agriculture and more seasonal work, uh, as well as just uh, shutting down uh, borders and the border via Title 42, uh, which is uh, an old law that essentially allows the government to shut the border whenever there's a health emergency. That may have been good for the moment, but we're also 2 million immigrants down compared to what we would have had otherwise. And so arguably the, the labor shortage that we're seeing is largely attributable and could be quickly solved if we simply reverse those policies and just allowed immigration the same way that we had, had allowed immigration before the pandemic occurred. Yeah, and let's dig into that just a little bit, uh, both in terms of uh, those lower skilled uh, but also the uh, the higher skilled, the some of, the, some of those H one B visa holders. Uh, what do we need to do to turn the tide in that, in terms of the skilled labor market as well? So yeah, that's a great question. And, and a lot of times when people think about immigration, they're more thinking about people who are more uh, working class who are, who are coming across the border to take more service oriented jobs. But that two million uh, two million estimate of uh, reduced immigration over the course of the pandemic, uh, half of that is simply due to a reduction in skilled workers and H-1B visas. Uh, we have a tremendous backlog in uh, the ability of federal officials to do visa, to process visa applications. Um, and it was something that uh, arguably was intentionally done uh, to reduce the number of people coming into the country during the pandemic. Um, that might have been understandable at the time, or at least you can craft the rationale uh, behind it. But these workers, especially the skilled workers, are going to be the entrepreneurs and the patent uh, uh, inventors of the future. Uh, the academic research clearly shows that high-skilled immigrants tend to be even more entrepreneurial than our own native-born Americans. Uh, and you can just think about that you know, from the perspective of America is very much from a start an immigrant driven country. So our future 
economic growth is really dependent on allowing more of these high-skilled workers into the country. Uh, I'm so glad you raised that, Michael, because I, I am a firm believer that it's uh, that it's entrepreneurs that actually derive <laughs> that drive freedom and democracy uh, around the world, and and those that we haven't had coming in. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, a lot of those uh, H-1B visa holders are, are going to be the ones who start the next business, who are entrepreneurial in nature. Uh, and ultimately, that's that's what drives it. Uh, what else are you watching for? What else should we be looking for uh, as we move into these summer months uh, that uh, might be impacting uh, where we are on this job market? So one of the other things that I dug into in my recent research is uh, uh, the emergency uh, rental assistance program uh, is, is still going strong. It was passed uh, as part of uh, the pandemic relief funding, and um, it's got $20 billion still left to spend. Uh, in March, the last month that we have data for, uh, it gave uh, around 500,000 households on average, about $4,200. And there's good reasons for why we put into place these kind of relief programs. But that's a lot of money to be handing out in an era when unemployment, national unemployment, is so darn low. Uh, and so in terms of, of federal programs that may still be inhibiting Americans returning to the job market, uh, that's one of the areas that we should probably be looking a little bit harder at. Uh, great insight, Michael Ferrand, a research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Uh, thanks for helping us break that down today. Really crucial insight. Appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day. All right. Uh, really some good stuff there. In fact, uh, on that uh, scale, when we come back, uh, looking at beyond the doom and gloom of the headlines, President Biden has had some wins while in office. But how's he doing communicating his plans, his vision to the public? There's a nice piece in The Hill that breaks down where the president has been his own worst enemy when it comes to connecting with voters. We're going to break that down talk about that coming up next. Stay with us right here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.